Coming up on a year and a half in the pandemic, there's hope on the near horizon to get back to a pre-pandemic normal. And it's not out of place to assume that includes a return to things like work, schools, malls, and social gatherings. But Canadians are nervous about that return, with good reason. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver, and this is Why. With more vaccines going into arms, provinces are rolling out their reopening plans, and some are even expecting to remove all restrictions by Canada Day. If that sounds like a too-quick return to crowded malls and offices after a year and a half of the pandemic, you're not alone. A recent Leger poll found 53% of Canadians were anxious about a, quote, return to normal. Let's ask kind of the obvious question. Once things reopen, as more vaccines get into arms, is it going to be, quote-unquote, normal... Or will it be abnormal? Will it be weird to feel a bit of anxiety, a bit of nervousness of of going back into what we were doing pre-pandemic? Sure. So so maybe I'll I'll just preface that throughout the pandemic, I've been urging people not to talk about social distancing. I know that's often the language used, Mm -hmm. um, but rather to focus on physical distancing, because just like you said, Adam, uh, humans are social animals and we need social connection. In fact, we often identify who we are in terms of our relationships. And so, you know, the, the fact that over the last year and a half or so, we've had these social relationships perturbed has been a real challenge for many people. That's Keith Dobson, a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Calgary. In terms of going forward, I think, again, we can anticipate that a number of people are going to have ongoing challenges. Um, So again, if we sort of step back from the pandemic and think about the nature of anxiety, anxiety usually emerges when there are three factors present. Uh, One is unpredictability. So if you don't know what's going to happen, but you know something is, you know, something coming down the road, but you're not quite sure what form it's going to take or when it's going to occur, that raises anxiety. Second is lack of controllability. So even if you know what the event is, but you can't really fully control it, then people tend to become more anxious or stressed. And then the third is salience or importance or threat, you know, just basically how dangerous is the situation itself. So as those perceptions increase, as people, you know, see more lack of predictability, lack of controllability, more importance, they become more anxious. And early in the pandemic, we had lots of lack of predictability because we just didn't know much about it. So as time has gone on, we've been able to get more information. Uh, We aren't able to control that much, to be honest. You know, our our methods of control are pretty weak. Uh, You know, face masks and, you know, hand sanitization and so on. Uh, And we know the salience is huge. You know, people have died. Uh, So it's it's Mm -hmm. been critical. So it's not surprising people have been anxious at all. Well, yeah, the past year and a half, we have been um, told by the, the, the medical community, by virology, that, that humans, potentially, other humans are potentially a threat because they carry the virus. Humans are exactly. the virus, as, as, as the saying went. I'm, I'm wondering if, if um, what mm-hmm. that will be, if, if we're a social being, 
but uh, other humans were, th were threats. That's going to take a bit of time to get used to being around other people. It won't. It? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and again, I think we have to distinguish in terms of the, the threat that people represent. There actually are sort of two elements to it. One is the social element. And again, we've recognized for a long time the construct of what we call social anxiety or social phobia. And this usually has the form of people being afraid of what other people are thinking about you or, you know, the, the fact of just being in a social relationship can be threatening for some people. Uh, the threat of losing the relationship sometimes creates social anxiety. The other is health anxiety. So this is anxiety mm -hmm. ab about you know, disease and, and infection and so on. And one of the challenges, again, we have with uh, COVID-19 is we have both present. You know, we, we have mm -hmm. people as a threat, but we also have the disease or you know, the illness itself as a threat. And so for some people, they actually truly have social anxiety. And for them, returning to social situations is going to be a, a challenge. And it would have been anyway, you know, be, be prior to the COVID. But it's going to be confused now because, again, some people are going to be scared of other people or nervous around other people because of the threat of infection. So it's going to be a sort of a more of a, a combined or confused situation. Now, personally, I, I can't wait to get back into social situations, but I imagine there are going to be people who are nervous of getting back into those situations because they may feel like they don't even know how to make small talk anymore. Absolutely. Some people have social anxiety because of poor social skills, or sometimes they perceive their social skills to be inadequate. And so they withdraw from social relationships and they don't develop the skills the way that they could otherwise. Exactly right. So there's different factors. And the other thing, of course, is some people before the pandemic had social anxiety. Right. And for those, for those people, some of them have actually reported actually feeling better during the pandemic because they've been able to avoid people and it's been socially allowed or socially encouraged uh, for them this uh, return to work or return to school is going to be a particular challenge I think so it'll be a lot of uh, kind of rebuilding those those social skills as as so as as society reopens um, yeah. I, I'm wondering um, this this pandemic has had a, a variety of effects depending on 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 the individual but I, I think that um, it's it, I was just speaking with Calgary's mayor the other day, and he was saying that it's going to be important to uh, recognize that there is that there has been loss, that there has been, uh, or another word, trauma uh, happened through this pandemic. If it's uh, loss of a job, uh, you know, uh, not being able to see your friends for uh, or, mm -hmm. or family for extended periods of time, or even potentially at, at worst, losing a friend or a loved one. Mm -hmm. What is the kind of the, the best practice or, or how can one um, work through that that trauma uh, such that they can emerge um, in a bit of a healthier position as as this reopening continues? So if we step back from the pandemic for, us for a second, uh, the nature of anxiety and stress is that it tends to be a future oriented kind of reaction. So mm -hmm. we're stressed about things that haven't yet occurred. Typically, you know, sort of we, we anticipate or worry about things that are going to happen. We tend to become depressed or sad or, or have grief reactions to the events that have already occurred. So you're absolutely right. We're at a point now where we have this combination of both anxiety about what will happen, you know, with respect to reopening. But then we have had a lot of loss and a lot of negative experience. And so, again, as people reflect on the last year and a half and, uh, you know, the losses you talked about and lost opportunity or, you know, just the idea 
of the last year, you know, sort of, you know, a year out of my life that that's disappeared now. I mean, we've all experienced various forms of loss. So for loss, uh, we act, well, let me back up. For anxiety and stress, we our typical response in therapy uh, for psychology is to encourage people to approach the thing that they're afraid of. So the typical uh, suggestion is rather than stepping back and maintaining anxiety and you know worrying about what might happen, actually approach the event and, and find out, you know, approach it with your best foot forward, ideally having optimal skills, coping skills, you know, that you can approach it and not avoid. Uh, for events that have already occurred, you can't avoid, of course. So then the focus shifts more to things like acceptance, uh, learning that, you know, you can't change the past, unfortunately. Uh, you need to grieve. And again, people need to be allowed to, uh, you know, have an appropriate expression of grief. Uh, we've known, for example, that many people have not been able to have funeral experiences for people that have died. So uh, I would anticipate a number of people are going to want to have memorial ceremonies uh, that, of that type. I think if people want to just simply stop and think about the things that they've lost and recognize those, um, that's entirely appropriate. And again, you know, ideally, we will allow and encourage people to have that experience. But then, of course, having done that, the question is now, what do you do? And then we would, of course, encourage people to re-engage, uh, set new goals, you know, move forward as best they can. Keith, uh, you mentioned uh, addressing a lot of these things in therapy. What are some methods if people don't have immediate access or don't have a healthcare plan that would allow them access to any sort of talk therapy? What are some of the other things that people can do to address anxiety or stress? So no, that's a great question. So uh, one of the things that we uh, focus on oftentimes when we know there are stressors that are coming down the line is trying to help people to feel safe or secure. You know, so again, trying to maximize the controllability and you know the sense that you can actually get through it, and that's good in the short term. It actually does reduce anxiety. So I think you know some degree of uh, mitigation of risk and encouraging people to take the risks, you know, I think is going to be helpful. In the longer term, unfortunately, those kinds of reassurances can actually create anxiety. Um, because because what you're doing is you're saying in effect that things are dangerous and we need to control them or we, you know we need to manage them as best we can and what we think from a psychological perspective is actually better to, for people to expose themselves to risk and to realize that oftentimes their perceptions of danger are not as bad as the situation actually is or if they think they don't have the coping skills you know or the controllability element uh, that they actually can develop the coping skills to manage the anxiety so so in treatment, what we typically do is encourage people to approach rather than avoid uh, things that they're afraid of and to develop their coping skills as they need to as, as they do that work. Society is opening up uh, more and more in the coming months now that uh, more vaccines are getting into arms. And when I say, when I say society, I mean more Canadian society and uh, our neighbors uh, south of the border. Um, Going, returning to work is for a lot of folks, especially folks who do a lot more office-bound work, that's going to become more and more of, uh, of, of a thing. More and more people are going to want to return to work and more and more uh, employers are going to probably want to have people return to work. However, it's, you know, what that mix is going to look like is, is, is maybe a, a bit of a question. Um, but beyond even that, I can imagine that there's going to be some trepidation of people even returning to work. Uh, given that, uh, you know, with COVID-19, it's, it's spread person to person. And if you're in a bit of an open, uh, or, or if you're in an office environment, uh, as opposed to staying home, 
uh, you have less control over uh, the potential for spread. Uh, I'm wondering if it, what your thoughts are as far as some of the challenges of, of, of returning to work with those, some of those anxieties, some of that stress uh, surrounding the virus. Yeah, we're seeing an interesting push-pull relationship right now where employers are getting anxious because they want em employees back at work, whereas employees we're seeing, you know, a vast majority of, of them are enjoying the uh, flexibility of working from home. That's Lauren Florco, talent management consultant. You know, people do want that uh, exposure to be able to come in with they feel they need to and kind of having that autonomy to be able to start choosing. And so... Uh, as employees are now getting faced with, some are probably going to be faced with forced to come back to work, um, and we're going to we're starting to see some different reactions. Um, based on that, we're seeing some people completely withdraw and say, "I'm going to quit if um, I'm forced to come back." Um, and or or we're seeing that now people are looking at jobs and they're only looking where for flexible opportunities. Um, but we're also going to see a huge. Um, jump in terms of how many people are going to start potentially look going on sick leave um, to be able to work from home where they have accommodations put in place um, so that they can still work from home if they're feeling forced to come back which um, we're going to see that um, even with people that don't feel anxious it's that similar phenomenon where you know when you go on vacation is once you get the once you get the cold. It's basically once mm. you're you feel relaxed and you're like okay things are back to normal. People those everything that was that your body was trying to fight and keep keep down and those are going to come pop back up. So people might end up having to come work from home even if they weren't necessarily anxious. Lauren, it, it seems like there's an opportunity here with employers to embrace more flexible working condition and allow employees to produce work that isn't tied to the office. What are some of the things employers have to weigh when requesting employees return to the workplace. Yeah, there's definitely um, lots of benefits that we saw initially, like productivity was increased or if not stayed the same. Um, we saw um, differences in terms of now you can actually have um, be more inclusive with people that um, needed at home uh, work for people with disabilities can now much easier work from home. Um, but some of those pieces that um, are going to be trickier are, you know, we are still talking about just those people that even have the option to work from home, right? So mm -hmm. there's things to consider in terms of, you know, is this a customer facing job where they need to be? Um, uh, and what does customer facing nowadays look like? If it's something like retail, probably yes. But if you're, you know, just uh, if you were, for instance, the banking industry, a lot of that can be done um, your customer facing can be done on Zoom, doesn't need to be face-to-face. Uh, -face. So rethinking what does um, actual face-to-face -face work look like? Um, and employers also need to consider, you know, what does the office look like? You know, unfortunately, we just had that huge trend of open concept, and now people are going to be, um, you know, not enjoying that coming through. So how can we how can we do desk hoteling or how can we have, how can we now redesign so that there are um, maybe uh, meeting rooms that people can book so that people do have offices when they do come in um, uh, on that and, and, and balancing how many people are in at a time.
And I mean, that speaks to some of the challenges facing uh, or facing managers right now, as far as trying to figure out how to accommodate, um, you know, some employee uh, requests as far as uh, making them comfortable in being able to work in the office space, given the, the whatever the, the, the structures are there, um, but also, you know, keeping it a safe place to work. Uh, what are some uh, things that managers or, or decision makers in the workplace can keep in mind when they are welcoming people back to work in this, this post-pandemic reality? Yeah, managers are faced um, with some tough um, new skills that they're basically having to learn because, you know, initially, um, you know, older uh, ways of management practice was everyone gets equal treatment. And now we have to actually think about more equity rather than equality, right? And so having those individual conversations with people to understand what do they need? Um, and also thinking about the job specifically as an individual piece, like, you know, maybe your most of your IT team can work from home, but maybe there's a person who actually works with the servers that needs to come in and be at the office. And so how does that feel fair? Um, and how does that person understand that that's their role requirement? So taking that on, knowing that means they'll have to be in um, changes. And so having those, you know, managers will have to have those individual conversations, see what people um, want, need, see what the role wants, needs, and then and then also talking with the team and saying, this is what we're thinking as, uh, as a group. Um, does this feel fair to everyone? And making sure that you're open and transparent with that because if someone finds out, hey, I didn't know that you, I could be working from home because you gave so-and-so it, but I didn't think that was an option, opens that up so people feel that they can uh, raise their hand for those same uh, pieces and things feel more fair. And the third piece in workplaces is obviously the employees. What are some things employees can do to make the transition back to the office more smooth for us and our fellow workers? So with employees right now, I think feeling more comfortable speaking up on what your needs are is very important. Um, not assuming that our managers will reach out and ask us because, you know, our managers could also be going under the same stresses and they're just working, you know, to get the work done themselves. And so they might not even think to check in with you. So making sure that you can speak up and um, and if you don't feel comfortable with your boss talking to HR on what you need. Um, and then also trying to take those steps to help give you a sense of control um, in your environment um, and finding, finding those spots so that you know help reduce your potential anxiety. So if you can incorporate, even if you're in the working, back at work, if you can incorporate working or sorry, walking meetings, that would, that helps, uh, you know, any sort of exercise helps gets out, you're in fresh air, you don't feel as trapped, potentially in an office with someone, if you're able to book an extra large conference room, so you have space, um, you know, if you are lucky enough to have an office, you can try and shut your door so you're still there. Um, you know, you can wear a mask as long as you want to wear a mask, we can hear so that if whatever you find, um, helps feel like you have a sense of control over the situation, um, the better. This is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email at thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you like what you're hearing, Tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, wear a mask, get vaccinated if you can. We'll see you soon.